the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Anyway, had to finish that up. I sent you a piece of audio uh, in your email. Yeah, so uh, just something at the last moment that I came across that I thought would be a good thing for everybody to hear. Um, Last night on uh, Fox News, uh, they had uh, a gentleman on who is the head of a uh, a large anti-violence uh, group, violence interrupters uh, in Chicago. And he talked about what black, black Lives Matter is missing. And it's really uh, a good piece of audio that we need we need to play. And it brings forth, he brings forth uh, the question that a lot of us have been asking. So we'll get to it as as soon as uh, uh, she can take care of, take care of uh, doing a little bit of editing on the very beginning because Martha McCallum sometimes has a hard time asking a question without taking forever to ask it. Big uh, story yesterday. I don't know if you saw this or not. It, 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 there's things that come up that make me want to beat my head against the wall. I mean, I'm surprised here in my studio that when you tune in uh, to to watch, uh, you know, the show or listen to the show, watching if you're watching on Facebook. And by the way, I know a lot of you want to be my friend on the Dave Ellswick page, but they only allow me to have 5,000 friends. And I've got 5,000 people now. Uh, that are on there as people fall off for whatever reason uh, i'll go in and i can add maybe a couple a month uh, as we go along but if you want to get and see all the material that i'm posting that elizabeth posts uh, for me uh, you need to go to the dave ellswick show facebook.com slash the dave ellswick show i can have as many friends as i want on that page because that's called a quote fan page and so you can uh, you know be part of of the show that way and then you'll uh, always see the stories that i've uh, been talking about during the mornings here on the dave ellswick show so you can read them for yourself uh there's 
there's nothing uh, that I I say about stories. I don't leave stuff out. I uh, I do it. I mean, for instance, we're talking about Biden today and his big gaffe. Yeah, and this is the reason Democrats don't want um, Biden to do a, a debate. If you read, the, you listen to the media. The media is starting to lead the charge now. Well, maybe we don't need to have any presidential debates this year. And the reason being, uh, in all honesty, is that they're afraid Biden going to get up there on stage and make an absolute fool of himself. I mean, it's not like you got to work at it uh, for him to do that. You just ask him a question, he'll figure out a way to uh, either answer it in some cryptic way or answer it wrong. For instance, how many people have died of the coronavirus in the United States now? COVID-19, how many people have died? If you said 120 million like Biden did yesterday, guess what? You're wrong. (laughs) That's not how many people. Do you realize that that's like a third of the population of the United States? Uh, So anyway, uh, anyway, let's get to this clip on uh, Black Lives Matter. And we're going to have to listen to Arthur McCallum at the beginning of it. She she had this gentleman on uh, yesterday from Chicago. And uh, his name is uh, Teal Hardiman. And uh, he is the executive director of Violence Interrupters. And uh, now he goes to great lengths at the very beginning to say that, you know, he's he understands what uh, Black Lives Matters are doing. But then he makes a, a, a like a 180 and says, but OK, so look, I, I, I gave my homage. I genuflected uh, to you. So now uh, I've given your, you some due. And uh, give you a chance to, uh, I want you to hear what I've got to say. And they're talking about uh, Newsom, the guy who's the head of Black Lives Matter in New York in what he was talking about, uh, I guess it was Wednesday night, Tuesday night. It was Wednesday night. And he made the statement that um, violence is called for at times. Of course, he tried to answer it. You remember me reading his answer, and he said, well, you know, you'll have to make up your mind if you think I'm being figuratively saying that we need to burn the system down or maybe not. All right, so instead of me talking, let's hear what uh, T.O. Hardiman had to say in Chicago. Violence Interrupters joins me now. Uh, T.O., thank you so much for being here tonight. What's your reaction to what Mr. Newsom had to say? Well, first and foremost, I would like to meet with the president of Black Lives Matters uh, here in the United States. But uh, mainly uh, my reaction would be we need to really do a lot of work in our own in our own backyard right now in order to stop the high the stem, you know, the tide of violence, the gun violence that's taken so many lives here in Chicago, Baltimore and Philadelphia. I'm one of the guys that was on the front line when he came down to standing up against police brutality and excessive force. And I understand what Black Lives Matters 
uh, what they're attempting to do. I understand that. But at the same time, we need help to do our best to stop the gun violence in Chicago. The entire nation should be outraged when a three-year-old is executed on the streets of Chicago and a 13-year-old young, young girl was killed on the west side of Chicago as well. And two young women were executed on the south side of Chicago last week because it makes no sense to me if we continue to stand up against the system, but we will not stand up in our own neighborhood. It makes no sense to me, Martha. So you say that when you say things like what you just said, and we have said those things here, we asked the other night, we showed the pictures of some of those children who were killed in Chicago, you know, and asked why people don't know their names. Uh, you know, their names are lost. Mo- nobody can name these children except their families and the people who love them and cared about them. But you stand up for these children in Chicago. Um, why do you think you get so much pu- pushback for, for bringing this up? Well, you get pushed back because a lot of times it's like the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to deal with this particular issue. The, the type of pushback that I receive on a regular basis, people say, well, white people kill each other, T.O. Hispanic people kill each other. Mm-hmm. But I'm a black man in America. I'm concerned about no. I'm concerned about stopping all killings. Don't get me wrong. But my main concern is the black people killing one another in our community. Right now in Chicago, we have a little bit over 300 homicides already this year already. We're on pace to pretty much reach 600 homicides, unfortunately. But I feel we should just deal with both of the issues. Black Lives Matter, they're raising millions and millions of dollars. We should have a meeting and see how we can actually work together in order to stem the tide of gun violence in the inner city. Sincerely, because that's why people get become angry at me, because I'm the guy that speaks up. For yeah. example, George Floyd, if I was there in Minneapolis, I would have helped George Floyd breathe. A lot of people, they, they know what I'm talking about when I'm saying what I'm talking about without condoning any violence, but I would not have just stood back and watched George, Floyd, uh, George Floyd's life taken from him. I just want to say that, Martha. And on the streets of Chicago, I've been, I've had confrontations with people when I'm out there trying to save lives. And people need to stop lying because it's hard to stop shootings on the front end. And I always say this in the media, if a person cannot tell you the last time they saved a life, they shouldn't even talk about what they're doing because it's hard work when it comes down to saving lives, Martha. Indeed, it is. You know, what do you think is the one thing that would help to you say that you said that black men needed to, you know, go back to their communities and fix them? That's not an exact quote. um, And forgive me. But what do you think is the number one thing that you would like to see changed, improved? What do you mean by it? Well, what I mean is, for example, like when George Floyd was uh, murdered, I'll say that everybody just, you know, they, they began to rise up all over, take to the streets all over the nation. This three old that was killed, if people know who the killer is, they should go to his house, uh, loot his house, take his gym shoes from him, take his uh, burn down his house, mm-hmm. take his Xbox from him the same way everybody was protesting all over Chicago. I mean, all over the United States. I understand the need to rise up against p- police brutality mm-hmm. and excessive force. I'm with that. But at the same time, we are losing two many kids due to gun senseless acts of gun violence in Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Detroit. So my, my call to action for Black Lives Matter, we need to have a meeting so we can see how we can organize and unify together and, and, and uh, pretty much stop the killings in, uh, in our neighborhoods. That's what I'm talking about. That's my main message here today. Well, we'd love to cover that meeting. Uh, so let us know. Tio, thank you very much. Good. Yeah, that's what a lot of people have been asking. You know, Black Lives, you know, black lives Matter is pulling in millions upon millions upon millions of dollars uh, from, uh, you know, companies and all kinds of stuff. And it makes you wonder where the millions and millions and millions of dollars are going to. 
they don't run any kind of TV spots. They, they do everything that they do uh, basically by social media. They don't run radio spots. I've not seen a Black Lives Matter billboard uh, anywhere in the country yet. And uh, I travel around and check things out and about, look and pay attention. And I don't see that kind of stuff. And it, so it makes you wonder who's reaping all the dollars? Who's making all the decisions for the dollars? How, are they just funneling all of this money into political campaigns and stuff? I, I think that should be something people look into. I know that I go and search out uh, the charitable organizations that I help knowing in some way who's behind them, who's supporting them, and what they're doing with the money that they're getting. I mean, go to blacklivesmatter.com, and they have a list of a lot of the groups that give money to them, and you'll you will recognize a lot of the uh, of the names on those lists, but they're not real transparent, I believe, in what they're doing with their money. But the big thing is, just like this, like uh, Tio said uh, here on this clip, what are they doing in the inner city of America? What are they really doing to help out? That's a legitimate question. And a lot of these activists that are out on ground zero on the street here in uh, Little Rock, uh, uh, in Chicago, I mean, like he said, they are on um, their way to having over 600 murders this year of black people in, in, uh, in Chicago. That doesn't mean that there's not other people getting killed. There are other people being killed, but black on black crime in Chicago and Baltimore and D.C. and areas like that uh, is huge. Absolutely huge. Let's identify the problems there and let's go and try to solve the problems there. I mean, is it all drug related as you'll hear people talk about? I think drugs play a large part because people are always fighting over turf. They've been doing that since I was a teenager uh, in that area. I mean, I remember Gary, Indiana, uh, when Mayor Hatcher was there and a group called The Family, which was like a, a mafiosa-type group, but it was, it was a black group, uh, was running the cocaine uh, on the streets uh, of Gary, Indiana. I remember covering press conferences with Hatcher and uh, members of the family standing up front with Uzis. Not, not making this up. You can, you can do the, the, the checking out. Why is the black community uh, allowing this kind of stuff to go on? I mean, a lot of, uh, I'll be honest, the black folks that I do know, uh, they got out of Dodge in those areas. Just like the poor whites got out, uh, you know, the blacks got out too. The ones that didn't uh, probably were running scams and things of that nature or didn't have the resources to get out. 
We'll talk more in a moment. Got to get our first break in. You guys need traffic. You need weather. I'm kind of upset about the weather. All week long, they've been talking about how this weekend was going to be really nice. And now it's like 60% chance of rain and stuff. Give me a break. And they're telling me 100 years from now, the earth is going to be on fire. Yeah. I believe that as much as I believe that it won't rain tomorrow. All right. I'll break on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Coming up after the news at the bottom of the hour, you'll want to make sure that you are uh, listening to the show. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza is going to be with us uh, for about 25 minutes talking about his new uh, book, United States of Socialism. I know he's working on a new movie. I'll have to ask him about that, see what he's got to say about that, and why this new face of socialism. You know, socialism comes in and out of vogue uh, here in the United States about every 30 or 40 years. I mean, it was big back in uh, what's about 1917, 1919, and then it kind of waned, and then it came back in the, in the uh, late 30s, and then it waned off again, and then it came back uh, in the 60s, and then it waned off again. And, and now it's it's back uh, with a vengeance here in uh, the 21st century. And I would think by the 21st century, or I would have thought by the 21st century, that the left would realize socialism does not work. It has failed in most places that it has been tried. Now, there are, you know, outliners, I mean, over in Norway and things of that nature, but you got to be willing to give up just about all your money and taxes and stuff for that to happen. And even they don't have uh, the the kind of socialism that uh, the socialists keep pushing uh, in in our in our country. I mean, uh, well, I mean, you talk about redistributing wealth here in America. If they ever if they ever get really 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 in charge. Uh, they're going to to do a lot uh, as far as how much money you get to keep and how much money uh, they get to keep. And, and understand, whatever you have is theirs. That's the way they view it. It's theirs to use. And they'll raise taxes, and, and, as, and as they call it, uh, they, go, they don't call it taking people's money. No, no, no. That's, uh, you're, you're talking about... Uh, you know, their money here. We got to figure out how to spend our money. You hear them say that, our money. Uh, I was reading an article just before I went on the air uh, from LA Weekly, which is kind of like, our, you know, the Arkansas Times, uh, a weekly magazine that's uh, in love with their liberal leanings. Uh, they wrote an article that is believe it or not, uh, digging up history about Arlo, not Arlo, Woody Guthrie. Now, everybody knows Woody Guthrie. Now, the reason this comes up, there's an Oklahoma soccer team that's not going to play the national anthem before uh, their games. They feel that it's too, the national anthem is too divisive. So they want to play something that is uh, more inclusive. So they're going to play a, a Guthrie song, uh, This Land is My Land. 
you know, this land is my land, this land is your land from California, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and uh, what they don't realize, a lot of people, is that it's a communist anthem. Uh, Guthrie wrote it because he said how much he hated God Bless America that you were hearing all the time on the radio uh, at that time. Uh, and so he wanted to play something else in its place. And so he wrote, uh, you know, this land is my land. And uh, he was uh, an avowed communist. Oh, and by the way, you might want to take a, a close look at some other stuff. He was a, a an avowed uh, racist. His father was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. But you never hear that stuff about the left. All right, Dinesh D'Souza is going to be up next. Let's get to your news. We'll do that right now. Hey, we're back. We took a break for five minutes, catch up on the news and pay some bills. And now we bring on a very, very influential conservative speaker and uh, influencer here to the Dave Ellswick Show. Dinesh D'Souza joins us. He's got a new book out, United States of Socialism. Here, let me put this up so all of you on Facebook can see. I'm putting your book up so if I can see it on the uh, on Facebook right now. Dinesh, how you doing? Hey, good, thanks. Good to be on the show. Yeah, let, let's talk. Not only do you have this book, but you got the movie that's coming out as well. When can we expect that? Uh, the movie is called Trump Card. It comes out the first week of August. The book is The United States of Socialism, and it's out now. So the book, typically I like to do the one-two punch. The book supplies the kind of intellectual spine of the movie, and the movie then becomes a kind of um, entertainment and emotional narrative. Uh, that tells the story in a different way. Yeah, you 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 give them a bunch of body punches with this book, and then you go for the chin shot and the uppercut uh, <laughs> with with the movie. And and you do this very well. You've been doing it now for years. You've been attacked relentlessly for doing what you do, and uh, you just do great work, Dinesh. You really do. I go see all the stuff that you're doing. Illiberal uh, education. I think is your finest book. That was a great book. Well, I am very proud of it. It was my first book, really, that introduced the idea of political correctness. And I saw a lot of this madness on the campus, but I didn't realize it was going to spread out and metastasize into the larger society. So many of the same kooks that I saw just within the kind of lunatic asylum of academia uh, are now out out in the street uh, setting up autonomous zones in Portland and Seattle and knocking over monuments. So they've they've entered the real world. You know, what's interesting, Dinesh, they're like everybody else. When they get out and speak, people look at them and and they, they talk about how they want to you know, like Obama said, fundamentally changed the United States of America. And if we got to burn the system down, we're going to do it. And they're tearing down monuments and tearing down statues. And just the other day, somebody starts saying, well, what about, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore? What should we do about Mount Rushmore? And I mention that to people and people go, oh, there's no way that would ever happen. I go, Take a look around you. Did you believe what's going on now would ever happen? No, I think this is a case where, particularly when the race issue is involved, Republicans tend to sort of go invertebrate. 
And so we have been watching with dismay and frustration as these as the left has gone berserk on us. Now, um, you know, obviously, at some point, I think people start defending the monuments themselves, and that started to happen. But I mean, we can't be expected to start vigilante committees and uh, call out the militias. This is a job for the government and for the authorities. Now, clearly, the local mayors and even governors, Democrats, have been in cahoots with these rioters. I mean, they send memos back and forth, and they uh, craft press releases on behalf of these thugs. So there's something very profoundly evil going on here. Uh, but at some point, I think the federal government steps has to step in, and I think Trump realizes that. You know, I uh, maybe am more uh, aware of socialism. I'm originally from Indiana. You know the name Eugene Debs. Eugene Debs was a, a, a socialist and from Indiana, and he's a really nasty part of Indiana history. We try to disavow him, but he just keeps coming back like a bad penny. But, you know, but what is it about socialism? I mean, it's disproven, discredited about every 30 years. Now it's back again, and you say this new brand that's going on deals with identity socialism and socialist temptations. Why don't you expound on that a little bit? Well, you know, when Debs ran for president, and I think he ran four times, uh, later Norman Thomas did the same thing. They were on the margin of American politics. They were not in the mainstream. Um, The mainstream contest was between the Republican and Democratic candidates. But now socialism has entered the mainstream and penetrated um, the heart of the Democratic Party. If you look at a guy like Biden, he's now pivoting not to the center, but to the left. Uh, He was against free college, and now he's for it. And he's embraced the Green New Deal, which is the whole packet of um, socialist uh, programs. So this is something that is quite new. Now, by identity socialism, what I mean is that our new type of socialism um, is a marriage of classic socialism and identity politics. Classic socialism is about the rich and the poor, a Marx-divided society like that, just into two camps. Uh, The poor were sort of the good guys, the exploited. The rich were the bad guys, the exploiters. But the left today divides society in many different ways, not just rich and poor, but black against white and male against female, straight against gay, legal against illegal. So that's identity socialism. They're trying to create a majority coalition of oppressed victim groups. Yeah, and and it's working right now to a a pretty good extent. I, I Look, I'm 67. I lived through... 67 and 68 when America was burning that time over the Vietnam War and over poverty. And now uh, they've reignited again. And this time, it's just just like you said, identity uh, politics is the big driver in this. Yeah, although I'm not sure it's working. I mean, remember, it didn't work in the 60s. They um, they tried all that. And what did they get? Well, first of all, they got the election of Nixon in 68 and his re-election <laughs> in 72. Now, Nixon threw it away with Watergate. Yep. But the same thing now. I think Trump is able to make a powerful case and say, look, I am the guy who stands between you, the American people, and the kind of chaos, looting, and domestic terrorism that is obviously occurring with the at least tacit support of the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Well, it's definitely being supported by the media, which is an arm of the Democratic Party now. 
Yes, or the media has become so powerful and so dishonest um, that you could almost say that the Democratic Party is the political arm of the media. Boy, that's a, I like to turn on that. That's good. That's really good It's because it's true. It's very true. Dinesh D'Souza has a new book out. Uh, you need to pick it up and read it. I've been reading certain chapters of it thus far. I will sit down and read it cover to cover. United States of Socialism. Why is socialism making such a comeback? And I think you really hit it, hit it out of the park when you said it's because of socialist temptations. Now, I put it in a different way. The way you did it, I think, is much clearer and concise. I talk about how do you run a political uh, organization against a political organization that says they're going to give everything to you for free. And that's what the Democratic Party is doing. They're throwing everything on the wall and saying, we'll just make it all free for everybody. And uh, trying to buy, they're trying, they're buying off the American public. That's what they're trying to do. You talk about this in Socialist Temptations. Yeah, I think that the, uh, you're focusing on the part of it that involves a kind of vote-buying racket. I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said a century ago that any government that robs Peter to pay Paul can always count on Paul's support. <laughs> uh, I'd like to emphasize a little different aspect of it. It's the way in which socialism is a moral rationalization for gangsterism and theft. So if someone were to say to you, go to your neighbor's house, and steal from him. Just take stuff out of his refrigerator, look around his house. If you see stuff you like, just grab it, take it over to your house. Most Americans would say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's stealing. Yeah. Uh, if I did it, I would feel terrible. So the socialist comes around and says, listen, the stuff that's in that guy's house actually belongs to you. Now, even if you have no memory of him stealing it from you, well, maybe his great-great-great-grandfather stole it from your great-great-great-grandfather. But in any case, uh, you're entitled to it. So listen, we're going to go get it. We will forcibly extract it from him. We will keep some of it for ourselves, and we will give the rest of it to you. So what, what, what the socialist is doing here is making people, ordinary people, feel, feel good about being part of a gangster scheme. They're essentially covering up theft with the kind of banner of social justice. I think this is the heart of the, the moral corruption of socialism. Well, and I'll tell you what, they've got the school system behind them. That's what they're teaching in the schools. Let's talk about that. I got to take a, a quick break, Dinesh, and then we'll be back to talk further about your book. Name of Dinesh D'Souza's new book is The United States of Socialism. Who's behind it? why it's evil, and how to stop it. That's the most important question, I think, for the whole book. We'll be back to continue our, cons our uh, conversation with Dinesh right after these. All right, let's finish our uh, interview and our uh, just our talk with Dinesh D'Souza about his new book, The United States of Socialism. We've talked about a couple of the main points that he'll make in the book. It's a short read. It's only a, a little over a couple of hundred pages. And what I've read, I've been very impressed by. And Dinesh, you're really good at, at cutting, to, cutting to the chase and, and getting your points out in a very clear and concrete way. But I think we should talk about how do we stop this. And to be able to do that, it seems like to me, parents are going to have to go in and take re-control of their education system. Would you agree? I would agree. I think that's um, a little easier to do um, through at the school level than mm -hmm. at the college level, because 
the left has basically taken over much of academia, and the more elite the schools, um, the more tight the control of the progressive left is. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was commenting, is it is highly ironic that these well-educated Ivy League graduates are throwing Molotov cocktails at the cops. But I'm like, no, that's not ironic. That's actually where this ideology is being taught. In other words, academia is the theory and Antifa is the practice. Right. I also think it's important to shut down the, 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 the deep state, which is the corruption at the police agencies of government at the highest level. And finally, to get these paramilitaries off the street. I mean, we haven't had this kind of paramilitary action in the United States uh, since Europe in the 1920s with Mussolini's black shirts. It's really a threat to democracy, and uh, it's a form of mass intimidation that's going on. Even the stuff, even the peaceful protesters, so-called, when they intimidate people to take a knee and they make policemen take a knee, what, this is a sort of, uh, I think, disgusting sort of gesture of for, a forced submission, of making you say that whatever you think, you're going to bow down to them, almost a liturgical form of genuflection. So this is what the left is up to now, and we're aware of it, and we need to resist it. Yeah, we need to fight it. There's no doubt about it. We can't just to let it it, it seems right now that what we're seeing from our politicians is just kind of capitulation. And if if we do a few things and act like they're not doing anything, they'll just go away. These folks aren't going to just go away. They're going to have to be faced up to. You remember during the 60s, it was the hard hats that finally called it out. Yeah, and I remember that, you know, when the when the gangs would go into these uh, the Polish neighborhoods of Chicago, mm-hmm. you'd have guys, you know, in the Italian and Polish neighborhoods standing on the rooftops, you know, heavily armed to protect their, their homes and their businesses. Um, and so, but we don't want to live in that kind of a uh, vigilante society. We want to live in a society under law where we can count on the authorities to protect us. That's why we have a government in the first place. So for the government not to offer that kind of protection, I think, is to, in some ways, dissolve the social contract. So um, uh, socialism is trying to come to America not just by democratic consent, but by force. And uh, that is a form of a of a usurpation that has to be blocked. I wanted to ask you one last question, if you've noticed this, because it's something I have picked up on here just in the last few days. Does it seem like to you that we've had the Black Panthers and we had the new Black Panthers. It sounds like to me we're getting another reiteration of the Black Panthers as uh, uh, some of these groups are saying, we'll take care of our own uh, communities and they're arming themselves and telling the police to stay out. And uh, that all started out in Oakland uh, back in the 60s, and we know where that led. Yeah, I think in the 60s you had the galvanizing issue of the Vietnam War. I think what makes this particularly strange, I mean, they've tried to build this on the George Floyd killing, but of course there was a there was a kind of unanimity in the country that what happened there was wrong, and it was an opportunity to have a moment of national reconciliation. We all agree these are there are some bad cops. We need to try to make sure we only have good cops. But the left didn't want that. They wanted to drive a wedge of division. And so they made it about all cops and they made it about America being racist. And they made it about the fact that it's been this way since the founding. So on top of George Floyd, they put this kind of bogus narrative 
And then they went around trying, with a sleight of hand, trying to make us accept the larger narrative. And if we didn't, just accuse us of being insensitive to George Floyd. Yeah, it's 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 a sad situation. United States of Socialism, Dinesh D'Souza, New York Times bestselling author, the uh, writer of this book, who's behind it, why it's evil, and how to stop it. Dinesh, thanks so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank All right, you. Talk to you later now. Dinesh D'Souza here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. And now, you didn't know I was going to do this, but I'm going to do something special today. I got a, I got a copy. There's, see, look, if you're watching on Facebook Live, there's the book. Got it in my hand right now. I'm going to give up my copy of the book that they sent me. I'm going to give it away to like the sixth, let's say sixth caller. All right. 823-0965. 823-0965. If you want a copy of Dinesh D'Souza's book, The United States of Socialism, be the sixth caller here to the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, you walk away with the book. All right? Yeah, you, you want to read this. I'm just telling you. You really want to read this book. It's, uh, it's a good book. And... Uh, Another Dinesh D'Souza book that I really tell you you need to read is Illiberal Education. It's one of his uh, very first books that was just really, really, really good. Uh, he's also written Obama's America, Death of a Nation, and The Big Lie. But this one, I think, is right is the right time for this to come out. And uh, he's written this for the day that we live in now. And that is, of course, the United States of Socialism by Dinesh D'Souza. Who's behind it? Why it's evil? How to stop it? Pay particular attention, if you happen to read the book, uh, to identity socialism and socialist temptations. Identity socialism is a coalescing of individual group victimhood into a, air quotes, majority looking for everything free from the government. Socialist temptation is uh, the mindset that a person should feel entitled to another person's goods because the socialist hammers home the notion that their neighbor is, uh, have essentially stolen from them. He or she has something nice, so should I. Well, we've got a winner, and uh, Heidi will tell us who that is when we uh, uh, just before we finish up, if you're calling in to try to win the book, uh, it's already been claimed. All right. I want to go out with a, a, a communist anthem for you today. You may have never thought it was a communist anthem, but if you listen to the words, it is uh, your kids. I know as a kid, I sang this song uh, in our you know junior choirs and everything, and uh the reason I play it is because a Oklahoma uh, soccer uh, team is going to play this instead of the national anthem. And here's Woody Guthrie, and uh, this land is your land. As I went a-walking that ribbon of highway, and I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me.
roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps to the sparkling sands of her diamond deserts. All around me, a voice was a sounding. This land was made. All right, so you sang that as a kid. Did you ever really listen closely to the words in this hand? Anyway, uh, Heidi, who's our winner? You can jump on here and just tell us. John and Bryant. All right. John, congratulations. You get to copy of the book, The United States of Socialism, by Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, I hope that you enjoy reading it. Coming up after the news, which is next, we've got Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett here on the Dave Ellswick Show. That's cloud rolling. A voice was chanting as the fog was lifting. This land was made for you and me. Okay, we continue Dave Ellswick's show. Hope that you enjoyed that uh, uh, interview with Dinesh D'Souza and his talking about his new book, The United States of Socialism, and talking about uh, the rioting and the protesting that we've been seeing here uh, in the United States and, and going back over a little bit of uh, current history. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the 20th century, Woodrow Wilson was president, you could see at that time socialism try to make its way into america it was trying to make its way over uh, as it was being embraced over in england and uh, didn't work then then it was in the 40s 19, around 1940 uh ni- well maybe 1935 uh when uh, fdr was in there you started seeing a lot of socialist programs uh, being uh, brought to bear upon the American public. Then it slowly disappeared, and then it showed up again in the 60s with the Great Society, Lyndon Baines Johnson and the Democrats. And then uh, towards the 70s, end of the 70s, of course, when Reagan came on, uh, it definitely uh, faltered. And now it's back with a vengeance again. And, you know, you got uh, AOC and you got all the rest of them, Warren and all the rest, and Biden. He's a socialist. I mean, when you listen to Biden running, and Dinesh pointed this out, he's not running. Usually when you start running for president, you run towards the center. He's not running towards the center. He is running to the left. Absolutely running to the left. And and that uh, is very, very... uh, important for you to pay attention to because it's indicative of what the problem seems to be uh in our 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 country i mean that's kind of stuff you got to kind of keep an eye on is it not to rob robert uh, steinbach is with us a law professor over at the bowen school law his opinions are his and his alone do not necessarily reflect that at a school or the university i think dinesh was on to that don't you think well, of course, Dave, you're right, and Dinesh is right. 
And think about it when what when socialism appeals to people. Socialism appeals to people when there's a problem that they can't fix in the short term. So they want someone else to come in and fix it for them. That is the government. By the way, I understand that motive. I'm not saying I agree with it, but, you know, look, if you're out of a job and you got a disease spreading around the country and your rent is due and it's hard to get food, it's hard to even get to a open store. Well, you want some help. I understand that. The problem is the help that you want, uh, if it's socialism, does not well for either you or the country long term by the way if you're not thinking long term a handout works that's handout right today always listen if the, if the government writes me a big check today that's fine if the government for me for now if the government goes bankrupt tomorrow it ain't so good anymore because then the check's worthless that's the problem with socialism not that people don't rationally want some help uh, quickly uh, that goes into their pocket. It's that, as we've often said, I wish there was some originality to it at this point, but Margaret Thatcher uh, uh, said, that is, at, at some point you run out of other people's money to spend. That's right. That's the problem. Yeah, and, and she was exactly right. Uh, but what's interesting was, and, and what I like about Dinesh D'Souza, I was talking to Heidi about this during the, the top of the hour break, is that he's so good about taking a few points that he wants to make very salient points and being clear and concise and concrete in in the way that he presents them. And I thought that he did really well in saying that they've changed socialism up a little bit now because, see, you can't sell the old form of socialism. That just doesn't work anymore. You know, the the worker against the rich man or the worker against the corporation, that doesn't work as much as identity socialism, as he calls it, where you police a bunch of individual groups around victimhood into a majority who are looking for everything free from the government. Well, Dave, you're you're exactly right. He's exactly right. And it's a rather simple twist. It's a rather simple trick. Look, socialism, as we know, and for your audience, is based on the writings of Karl Marx, right? And that's, that's hence right. Marxism. So Marxism said uh, there, there's a conflict, an inherent human conflict between capitalists, and by that he means people that own, right? Own the capital, those that's who correct. own a business, for example, and the workers who work for the people that own the business. Well, that conflict is not nearly as compelling these days because in, in, for many reasons, one of which is that there are many workers who own some aspect of business. Maybe not, the, you know, you may work at Dillard's, you don't own a Dillard's, but you may own a mutual fund. You know, maybe, maybe you got $1,000 in, in a retirement mutual fund. But, well, a mutual fund owns shares in other companies. That's right. Well, now, guess what? Whoops. You're a capitalist, so that conflict doesn't work so well anymore because when you start pointing fingers, you got to find a small group to point the fingers at, right, or at least a group that is somehow distinct from you. This is history, right? The, 
did it to the Jews. They did it to the blacks. Right. They do it to every group, right? You just have to point to a different group. So who do you point to now? Well, now, as Dinesh points out, you use race. By the way, coincidentally, I wasn't thinking of it just a second ago, when I referenced Jews and blacks, that's race-based as well, of course, right? Sure. So that's the new socialism. Instead of conflicting workers to uh, owners, you conflict one racial group against another racial group. And by the way, and we've talked about it, Dave, remember some of the terminology. It's, uh, it's that you don't know that you're a racist. You're implicitly a racist, and you're born with privilege, and your color determines your thinking. We used to say that that kind of thought process was improper, that it was racist. Now it's not racist if you flip it around. Oh, that's exactly right. It's taking the fundamentals of socialism and wedding it uh to uh, identity politics is exactly what that is. By the way, we've got a caller, Larry, uh, out of Conway. Is he? Do we have someone on phone that had a question? Did he laugh? Oh, okay. Did he tell you? Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, it's on my phone. Okay. You got to understand. I just, I, I, okay, let's see. I'm going to it right now. I got to get over. Hold on with me, Rob. I got to get over to my. My material here, so I can ask you this question. Okay, Larry from Conway said, is it legal to carry a gun while wearing a mask? Larry doesn't think it is. That's interesting. Uh, I I don't see, I mean, let's put it this way. If you're allowed to carry a gun, putting a mask on, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't change that. But he's right, there was something historically about you know because of bank robbery and stuff but i don't i don't know if there's anything in the books uh, regarding that anymore that would prohibit it and certainly in this context where uh, you have to wear a mask right when you go to certain places um uh, i don't see how that's illegal but it's an interesting question yep. whether there's some vestigial law that may uh, have a conflict right now i got you anyway i know that you're not supposed to wear your sunglasses when you go in the bank anymore I got to remember that because I always right? wear sunglasses. I wear sunglasses at night, and I should yeah, well, start. Should I, I should start singing my song, but that's all right. I won't do that. Uh, oh gosh! <laughs> all right, seven fifteen. We come back. Uh, Robert Steinbach is with us. Chris Corbett should be calling in uh, any time. By the way, I sat down last night. I think you said that you had watched this movie. Ford versus Ferrari. Did you watch yeah, it? Yeah, good movie. It's a great movie. Isn't it? That was really, really good. You you and yeah. Chris kept telling me, Dave, you got to see it. You got to see it. You got to see it. Right. I sit down to watch it, and you know, Linda's right there, and she sure. says, I don't want to watch a race car movie. Well, let yeah. me just say, it's not a race car movie. It's not a race car movie. That's right. It, it, the, the, the movie is everything that revolves around the race car. Which right. is good, and it's a relationship movie uh, between two guys. No, they're not lovers. Uh, they just respect each other, and they did magnificent things uh, together. Carol Shelby and and Ken Miles. We'll talk about other things when we come back. I want to talk about uh, here in America and uh, the bringing down of all these statues. And uh, the, the uh, yesterday, somebody said. Uh, they were attacking Mount Rushmore. Now, the governor of South Dakota is saying, over my dead body. But uh, 
just people, I, I mentioned this to people times and they go, oh, they're, they're, it's too big. They can't do anything about it. Don't bet on it. All right. Well, I always ask people, when you got up this morning, did you think that the country would look this way? You know, I mean, people are thinking strangely these days. Got to be aware of it. Let's take a break. Then we come back, talk more with Robert, and uh, I'll send out the flare gun and have it fired off to see where Chris Corbett is here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so Robert Steinbach is our special guest. He'll be with us until 8.30. Matt Smith will join us at 8.30 uh, for uh, what's coming up in movies because the movie theaters are supposed to be basically reopening uh, on uh, in July, first week or two of July. And we're getting close to that now. So we'll have to see if it's going to happen or not. We'll talk to uh, Matt about that. And there's some new product from uh, Hollywood that should be uh, coming out. I'm getting a little sour on Hollywood, to be honest with you. I I really like movies, Rob, but I'm getting tired of 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 uh, the Hollywood elite out there just, you know, we're all behind Black Lives Matter. Yeah, let's tear down statues and all that kind of uh, kind of stuff. I mean, you know, Matt's been open for a long time, and, and that's what's fun about having him on at eight thirty today, and and talking about uh, you know these other theaters now that are going to try to start reopening. Uh, and I've been over to, to Matt's places and stuff, so it's it's good that he's a way ahead of uh, of the momentum of these other theaters but we got some things to talk to him about at eight thirty-five. you don't want to miss that either but you don't want to miss what rob has to say what do you think about this stuff about tearing down statues this has gotten to be uh it's not about race anymore that's very obvious it's not about uh discrimination against uh, uh black people anymore because they're tearing down you know, uh, statues of Grant or tearing down statues of abolitionists. Uh, I think it's just, uh, you know, a bunch of ignorant people out, uh, you know, caught up in the excitement of being out there, uh, you know, and tearing down stuff because there's nobody there to stop them. Once law enforcement decides they're going to stop it, which they can do, uh, those people won't want to be out in tear gas and things of that nature. But we'll see if if uh, they got the moral and uh, uh, you know fortitude to take care of this problem. What what do you well, see I, in it, this? It, well, first of all, I agree that the, there there is no limiting principle any longer. Right? They're tearing down statues. They literally have tried to tear down uh, Andrew Jackson from right across the street from the White House, and. Andrew Jackson is a good uh, historical character to talk about because was he perfect? Well, of course he wasn't perfect. And then the phrase that's often used is he was a person of his time. By the way, that's a phrase effectively, I don't remember the exact words, used in the Bible about Noah to reflect on the fact that he wasn't perfect, but he was, um, I think it says something like he was a great man for his time, Uh reflecting the same notion that it's relative. Uh, you know, for example, Dave, and, I, and I, that um, the original Henry Ford uh, was a well-known rabid anti-Semite. Yep. Um, and, of course, 
that's not a good thing, but it wouldn't stop me from buying a Ford product now. In fact, I think Ford makes a nice product right now. Uh, so it's you, you kind of have to have some sense of history, right? So if uh, I'd buy a Ford, but if um, uh, I wouldn't buy a statue of Hitler, right? We can we can have some sort of distinctions in our brain uh, that we apply with an understanding of history. But they want to take the names off of buildings and tear down statues for people who actually were quite progressive in many respects, just not progressive enough. And there, therefore, virtually no, if, if any historical figure will meet the new leftist standards. Well, yeah, the question is, what is left enough? And uh, it, it's, it's really crazy now, uh, the people that they go after. Uh, although... We talked about this uh, early on in the week about uh, the way the left works now in that if you're a white, ma- straight male, you, of course, are inherently racist. That That's for sure. Unless you happen to be a white, straight male and you're a Democrat. And then they, right, they, right. they cut they cut you a lot then you of get a slack, pass, right? Yeah, look at look at, at uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel has done all kinds of blackface stuff, all kinds. I mean, tons of it, uh, as well as a lot of other questionable things in his career. But he says, "I'm sorry," and the left goes, "Oh, okay." Now, if it was a conservative. You know, they'd be doing, a, you know, a kind of a, a commercial about New Jerseyites uh, and make them making, uh, you know, salsa and they'd be saying, get a rope. You know what I'm saying? Well, of course, uh, by the way, don't you love the whole Jimmy Kimmel situation where he goes, oh, I'm going to go on vacation for a month or two just because I need a vacation. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then a day later, it's like, oh, by the way, um, yeah, I was caught doing blackface. Uh, so it, it's also just lie upon lie. Right. Um, but you're absolutely right. Of course, there's a double standard. Uh, Dave, the fact that you're surprised by that fact uh, is is uh, is surprising in and of itself. No, I'm not surprised by it. I know. It. You, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, yeah. of course. You know, I'm not surprised I, it, it, the, that people don't pay attention to that kind of hypocrisy amazes me. Indeed. I mean, no, seriously. You're, you're, you're really, you're 100% right. And... That's if you watch all of this movement that's going on, this new Marxism, that's what it is. It's a new Marxism, this new Marxism that is going on. It's it devolves to what Marxism was about. Remember what Marxism was about. I described earlier it was an alleged fight between capitalists and workers. Well, what is a fight between capitalists and workers ultimately about? I want your property. You have stuff. And I don't have as much of it, so I want yours. Because, you know, Dave, I say fully sarcastically, that's sustainable, right? You know, if if those that have less want all the things of those who want more and they take it by force, well, that's – that doesn't repeat itself. Then those who have more uh, fight back or go away or get killed, and then there is no more. 
Yeah. Right. So uh, um, but the the underlying concept is basically the have lesses wanting th- that which the have mores have. That's all this is about these days, Dave. You hear all this talk. Well, I, you know, let me be fair. Let me be fair. All is an overstatement. You know, the left overstates everything. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, this is mostly mostly about uh, those uh, who don't have something, whatever it may be, wanting more of it, not because of justice, not because of morality, because the have lesses want more of what the have mores have. And you already see it, that the creator of the 1619 Project, which is just a, largely a work of fiction in the New York Times that claims that, that this country started in 1619 with the beginning of the slave trade and that everything that developed thereafter is inherently intertwined with the slave trade. That's false. Slavery was a part of our history, no doubt, and a horrible one, no doubt, but it's not the only uh, characteristic of our history, and it is not the uh, singular defining characteristic. Now she has a piece in the New York Times saying, well, now it's time for financial reparations. Oh, yeah. Well, there it is, Dave. There oh, it yeah. is. Yeah, we've, uh, we're, 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 hearing, open it. There. we're hearing, it, hearing it more, and not only on the uh, the local level or state level right. but in the centralized oh, no, government level Absolutely. and you know and they're they're strong enough to do it if they really want to robert continue to sip on your coffee or are I'm you have, do it. or your latte whatever you're doing and then we'll it's, it's, we'll come kind of a latte yeah. okay we'll come back <laughs> and talk more but first of all let's get to rush uh rush here on the dave ellswick show a little drizzle going on in the Little Rock right now, 73 degrees, looking for a high about 86 uh, today. And uh, it's going to be feeling like about 94 before we get through it. That's your heat indices that we'll be dealing with. Don't forget, uh, as I've told you about the weather and giving you the facts about that, let me give you the facts about what do you do if your roof gets a leak. All right. What do you do about that? Well, you need to know who to go call that's trustworthy and professional and can get the the job done. And in these times of COVID-19, who can keep the social distancing going, keep your family safe as far as, uh, you know, that uh, disease goes and keep their workers safe. And that business simply is PI Roofing. PI Roofing can do all of those things. Uh, They did my roof and you know, COVID-19 wasn't around. Uh, but even that, during that time, not a whole lot of uh, necessity for me to sit down and meet with them and whatever. Uh, I didn't stand outside, you know, I, I wouldn't stand outside my house now and talk to one of the workers like I would do uh, back then. But, uh, you know, you can do all the things you need to do by phone or by the Internet. If you just call them at 707 707- 3551 or go to com. uh you can get it all taken care of they'll come out they'll walk your roof to find the problems they'll let you know they'll talk to your insurance talk to one of the adjusters probably walk the roof with them show them the problems that the roof has and then get things set up so that you can get your roof fixed and then they can come out and fix it and they don't have to get in your house or anything like that while they're 
taking care of things. So uh, just keep in mind that PI Roofing understands all of the concerns you have about COVID-19, and they'll make sure uh, you don't uh, have any problems with them coming to take care of your roof. And they'll take care of it. The roof stops with PI Roofing. They're your roof leak detective. 707-3551 or piroofing.com. We've got about, uh, looking here, I'm, I'm going to say we've got about 18 minutes till the, the top of the hour is what we, we have. Uh, and we've got Robert Steinbach with us. Robert Steinbach is a, a, a law professor at the Bowen School of Law. Remember that his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law. Probably 95% they're not. I'll just let you know. Maybe even more. But they should be, but they're not. So let, let's get Robert back up here. And, Rob, you, you sent me a couple of stories from uh, the New York Times because you still read the New York Times. And, by the way, if you send me a Wall Street Journal uh, link, know that I don't, I don't uh, subscribe. So they let me read the first uh, paragraph, and then it says if I want to read the rest of the story, I got to gotcha. go out and, and, uh, and pay big money to, to get <laughs> to get their 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 stuff and i'm of the opinion if you're over on the internet uh, not probably trying to get me for 90 dollars a year is not, not i'm not going to not going to help you out so anyway let's go and talk about the new york times why people would take them seriously anymore i really don't know i think you read them personally just because you like to laugh Dave, in all sincerity, and I've said this on your show now for, I want to say about a couple of years, I'd have to go back and look, um, that I used to think they were not only a good, but a very good newspaper with a somewhat liberal bias. And I don't think you can remove entirely a bias. So I think what you do is you kind of recognize it and you make every effort to eliminate it, knowing that what's called in statistics type one or type two errors, meaning either you're going to overcompensate and go too much to the right, or you'll undercompensate and you'll still be too far to the left. It's a Goldilocks syndrome, right? It's really hard to get it quote, just right. End quote. Uh, but they've given up all pretense of doing so. In fact, quite the contrary. And as I mentioned also, I think to you in the past, a good friend of mine, uh, postulated that the reason is that they've moved from an advertising-based system, which is what used to be the case when you'd buy a physical newspaper. When you bought a newspaper, you just paid for the the actual physical paper, not all of the employees. Everything else is paid for by advertisers, and advertisers want to appeal to as many people as they can, and so they want news that seems generally down the middle, meaning not biased left or right. Well, that's no longer the case. Now, newspapers make their money by subscriptions. And so who buys subscriptions to the New York Times? Lefties. And so who do they want to appeal to? Lefties. So they actually get more subscriptions the more to the left they move. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, And uh, I get my subscription um, from my office. It's a group subscription. So if I were to be paying individually, I honestly believe that I I would uh, likely give it up because it's no longer news. It's all opinion. Well, they really showed their true colors when the, the, this whole thing about Tom Cotton broke out. 
That's exactly right. I mean, it, you can't make that up. No. Tell your audience again what happened. Dave. Yeah, well, Tom was asked. He was asked. He didn't just offer. He was asked to write a op-ed about uh, dealing with these people that are out rioting and everything. And what he wrote, and I think about China as well, uh, what he wrote did not in any way, shape, or form uh, go along with the way the uh, the writers at the New York Times felt, and so they rebelled. Uh, they just right. they they just started going crazy and, uh, and said they couldn't believe that one of their editors would let somebody like Tom Cotton have his op-ed uh, printed in in their paper. Now I'm I'm. I'm saying there the way I'm saying it, T-H-E-I-R, because they felt like it was their paper, but it's not their paper. All they do is write for the paper. By the way, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. That notion that, that it's, well, this is our paper because we work here. That's Marxism. Oh, the, yeah. notion, the underlying core tenet of Marxism is if you work uh, at an institution, you own it. Well, no, you might, but not necessarily, <laughs> right? You know, you just did an advertisement for a roofing company. Okay, well, the roofing company was started, I, I'm making it up, I don't know anything about the history, but by, by a family, and now the, yep. and they hire workers. Yep. And so one of the workers is putting in uh, shingles besides, well, I deserve part of the profit. Well, I, I don't know what deserve means. You get a salary. That's how it works. Well, not only that, but because I work for the company, We've got to use this kind of shingle because I think this is a shingle we should use. Right. Good for you. Oh, go open your own company and put your capital at risk. That's what is the problem with Marxism. Marxism, Well, why, why does a capitalist get to make the extra money? Well, because he's the one taking the risk. By the way, when there is no business... And he's still paying salaries until maybe he lays off people. Don't get me wrong. But he's still he's, you get a salary no matter what. If he doesn't make a profit and you get paid your salary, he doesn't make any money at the end of the day. Chris works for a, a very nice and smart guy who runs the um, what's the name of it? The ABC Block Company. And he told me the story when he was young, how he ran um, his business making block and that kind of thing. And he said, yeah, well, I would pay my workers to make the block and I would get checks from the people buying the block. And then there was nothing left over. That's the risk of capitalism. Now it's the reverse, which is, yeah, I pay my workers and I get the checks from the people who buy the blocks. And there's a bunch left over, and I'm happy to take it. That's how capitalism works. Yeah, well, exactly. That's why you start a business. You take a product to the people that you think that they want so that they'll buy it, so that you make a profit off of it, and that way you can make a living. You know, I back in, but you risk all the money you put into that. That's right. That going if it works or doesn't work, that's correct. That's it, right. It was back in the nineties. It was uh, this would have been towards the late nineties when I started to hear people say that businesses existed to give people jobs. Right. And I would right. I would argue on the air with them about it because that's right. You know, that's not why businesses are started to give people jobs. But that has 
grabbed hold of people's minds, and it's what they think is true now. They're starting a business. Well, they they owe me a job. They owe you yeah. nothing except exactly. to well, you. You you're going to say you're going to serve to them your talent, whatever it is, and you agree to take whatever remuneration that they offer you. Well, to be clear, they owe you one thing. If you do the work, they owe you a paycheck, and that's substantial. Listen, I work for a paycheck. You work for a paycheck. Yeah. If, 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 if the uh, radio station at which you work, Dave, doesn't sell sufficient advertising one month uh, or one year, whatever the case may be, but they're still in business and they still are trying to make money, you still get your paycheck. That's the difference. You don't have to put your capital at risk. That's a decision that you make. Yeah, I, I agree. We'll talk more about it, uh, Robert. we got to take a break, get our final break for this hour. And Robert Steinbach, my guest, of course, he joins me every Friday because he says a lot of things that just make sense. We'll continue to make sense when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back for the final segment of the uh, 7 o'clock hour with Robert Steinbach. And uh, we've been covering uh, the news that is uh, occurring right now. I want to talk a little bit about Biden. 120 million deaths from COVID-19. Now, if President Trump had said that, uh, the media would go absolutely ape on him. Uh, Biden, a few people tweet about it, but uh, not a big deal. I guess it's because the media expects uh, Biden to make those kind of gaffes. The thing that I want to talk to you about, Robert, is are you getting the definite feeling that the media is starting to push the narrative that because of COVID-19, we can't have a presidential debate. Are you, are you getting that feeling? I don't know. That's an interesting, that I haven't seen. I've seen something related that I'll mention in a moment because the New York times, in fact, covered the story that Biden agreed to three debates, but not more. Um, But the New York times yesterday, the day before the whole Top of the page was polls show that Biden is beating Trump by such and such percent. Oh, like a bad drum. What's that? He's beating uh, Trump like a bad drum. That's right. And what's interesting about that is, of course, it was the same narrative as Hillary. Yeah. Let me be clear what I'm saying here, though. I'm not saying that the polls don't necessarily show that. And I'm not saying that I can predict the future. I don't know who's going to win the presidential election. I I know who I'm going to vote for. And I do know that, uh, as in the context of Hillary, there are people who are not responding to the poll takers in an honest way because they're afraid to disclose their true beliefs, which is support for uh, Trump. With that said, I personally find it virtually impossible to predict, excuse me, the outcome, because we have so many unknowns, right? We have the COVID, we have uh, people shut in, or, or, you know, more shut in than they are. One of Trump's strongest um, factors in favor of his reelection was the strength of the economy. The underlying metrics of the economy remain strong, of course. However, People don't see it today, or at least some people don't see it today when they're out of work. And I don't blame them. Right. But the truth is that the economy is remarkably strong, but it's also literally shut down. 
uh, and people would, uh, many people are unhappy, understandably, legitimately. And when you're unhappy, you're much less likely to vote for the incumbent with some mental recognition. Oh, well, yeah, still the fundamentals of the economy are strong versus a nice paycheck coming in every time. And so these are all challenges that we have never confronted in this way before. And as a consequence, I'm not sure. I personally don't know how to predict the outcome. I'm hopeful, but I can't predict it. Yeah. Well, I am like you. Uh, Number one, we're too far out from the election now to get a definitive feel for what's going on. Uh, I see a huge enthusiasm gap for Biden from Democrats. I don't see that from Republicans, although and and the media is is, as much as they can are trying to make it make the headwinds for the president as strong as they can. I mean, anybody. I mean, anybody from the Republican side, and and I mean, they can be a nobody on the Republican side, and they'll get a picture picture on the front page of the paper if they say, I can't support this That's president. Right. That's right. Dog catcher from Albuquerque, Republican, comes out against the president. Top, uh, you know, uh, top of the fold news. New yeah. York Times. Yeah, that's been going on now uh, for a few weeks. I mean, uh, the last one was, uh, who's the lady who came out? She ran for president uh, back four years ago. I can't think of her name right off the top of my head right now. And, and, and you know, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, bottom line is, is, is she came out. Yeah, I can't support this president. You know, sit down, shut up. Don't, she's, getting her, she's getting herself set up to run again in another four years. That's what she's exactly. trying to do. Exactly. Plus, she hasn't been on television at all here recently because who cares what she has to say? That's 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 the whole big thing. And the media uses her as a methodology. See, and the other thing that they're using is, okay, Bolton's got a book that's coming out. Wait till you read it. And uh, people are reading it and going, so? And now now the big one is his niece is going to write a story a tell-all story about the Trump family. And, oh, my God, they're doing everything to stop her from talking, so she must have the truth to be telling us about it. And then you start reading a little further, and you see that she's been a malcontent for most of her life. Exactly. There's no screaming by the media. I'm speaking, in this case, about the example that you give of the niece. There's no screaming by the media to say, there's a difference in terms of the quality of the person giving the tell-all. Nope, if it's a tell-all, well, the, the, the mainstream media has become much like the National Enquirer that they aptly used to criticize all the time. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. When Clinton was president, even though I couldn't stand the guy, uh, the bottom mm-hmm. line was I didn't put all those, quote, Secret Service guys who wrote books on my right. show that – to talk about how Hillary threw dishes at Bill in the White House. Nobody had to tell me that. I felt that that was probably just a foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah but you're right. You, you know, the media doesn't do any screening any longer of the quality of their uh, of their in, so-called insiders. No, I, I definitely uh, agree with you on that. It, the media used to 
give a, a fairly balanced portrayal of of things. They they haven't done that now since uh, m- mid late nineties. They have not. They've just moved away from it. And now with Trump, they all have uh, you know DTS. I mean, a real bad case of it. COVID nineteen might be at a pandemic, but I'm just telling you, Donald Trump syndrome is definitely at pandemic levels here uh, in the United States. Well, when you see the media, quite literally, they come out and say, well, uh, Donald Trump's a racist. Boom. That, that, to be clear, if you want to believe something like that, you, you're free to believe it. But that's, a, that's an opinion and a conclusion. And I'm not talking about the opinion page, right? The opinion page can write whatever they want. I'm talking about in the articles. In the articles. They routinely call him a racist. One of the examples of him being a racist is that he says that the flu started in China. By the way, you know why, Dave? Because it started in China. (laughs) Started in China. It it had that unfortunate uh, coincidence of being a true statement. That's not good enough. You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed. And by the way, let's be clear about this. Not only is it just an apt historical reference, that is, that the flu started in China, there is an element of blameworthiness, not race-based, but that China does not maintain adequate, um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, sense of health. There's a term, I can't think of it at the moment. Uh, and, And they exported, not by design, at least that we know of, not by design, um, this disease because they are, as I've, as I've said to you, uh, bats, they're eating bats, you know, and the, the joke is that's bat crap crazy. You should not <laughs> be eating bats. Bat guano, baby. That's what it is. All right. That's it. Robert Steinbach is my guest. He'll be back with us next half hour. Going to play uh, some uh, audio from a black activist in the next half hour. That I gotta let you hear, Robert. That's all coming up next on the Dave Ellswick Show. day on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thanks for being with me since uh, 6 o'clock. Hope you've been here the whole time. Hope you heard Dinesh D'Souza speak with us today between 6.35 and 7. Hope you've been with us for the last hour hearing uh, some uh, very salient uh, uh, conversation between Robert Steinbach and ourselves. Uh, Robert Steinbach, of course, is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law and uh, a part of the Dave Ellswick Show on Fridays, but also understand his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the institution for which he works. And he does not think that he owns the Bowen School of Law either. Uh, He understands that he works for the (laughs) 
Bowen School of Law. All right, good to have you back, Robert. I want to play a, a piece of audio for you to start off uh, this last half hour we have together. And uh, the person who is talking is a Chicago black activist who runs a uh, a group trying to uh, cut down and stop black-on-black crime. And he brings up some questions that you and I have talked about before, but let's hear how he put it all together. And here's a T.O. on that. He's uh, appearing on the Martha McCallum uh, show on Fox, and you'll hear her in this interview but listen to what he has to say. Now, Tio Hardiman, Executive Director of Violence Interrupters, joins me now. Uh, Tio, thank you so much for being here tonight. What's your reaction to what Mr. Newsom had to say? Well, first and foremost, I would like to meet with the president of Black Lives Matters uh, here in the United States. But uh, mainly uh, my reaction would be we need to really do a lot of work in our own in our own backyard right now in order to stop the high the stem, you know, the tide of violence, the gun violence that's taken so many lives here in Chicago, Baltimore and Philadelphia. I'm one of the guys that was on the front line when he came down to standing up against police brutality and excessive force. And I understand what Black Lives Matters uh, what they're attempting to do. I understand that. But at the same time, we need help to do our best to stop the gun violence in Chicago. The entire nation should be outraged when a three-year-old is executed on the streets of Chicago and a 13-year-old young, young girl was killed on the west side of Chicago as well. And two young women were executed on the south side of Chicago last week because it makes no sense to me if we continue to stand up against the system, but we will not stand up in our own neighborhood. It makes no sense to me, Martha. So you say that when you say things like what you just said, and we have said those things here, we asked the other night, we showed the pictures of some of those children who were killed in Chicago, you know, and asked why people don't know their names. Uh, you know, their names are lost. Nobody can name these children except their families and the people who love them and cared about them. But you stand up for these children in Chicago. Um, why do you think you get so much pushback for, for bringing this up? Well, you get pushed back because a lot of times it's like the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to deal with this particular issue. The, the type of pushback that I receive on a regular basis, people say, well, white people kill each other, T.O. Hispanic people kill each other. Mm -hmm. But I'm a black man in America. I'm concerned about no. I'm concerned about stopping all killings. Don't get me wrong. But my main concern is the black people killing one another in our community. Right now in Chicago, we have a little bit over 300 homicides already this year already. We're on pace to pretty much reach 600 homicides, unfortunately. But I feel we should just deal with both of the issues. Black Lives Matter, they're raising millions and millions of dollars. We should have a meeting and see how we can actually work together in order to stem the tide of gun violence in the inner city. Sincerely, because that's why people get become angry at me, because I'm the guy that speaks up. For yeah. example, George Floyd, if I was there in Minneapolis, I would have helped George Floyd breathe. A lot of people, they, they know what I'm talking about when I'm saying what I'm talking about without condoning any violence, but I would not have just stood back and watched George, Floyd, uh, George Floyd's life taken from him. I just want to say that, Martha. And on the streets of Chicago, I've been, I've had confrontations with people when I'm out there trying to save lives. And people need to stop lying because it's hard to stop shootings on the front end. And I always say this in the media, if a person cannot tell you the last time they saved a life, they shouldn't even talk about what they're doing because it's hard work when it comes down to saving lives, Martha. Indeed. 
It is. You know, what do you think is the one thing that would help to you say that you said that black men needed to, you know, go back to their communities and fix them. That's not an exact quote. um, And forgive me. But what do you think is the number one thing that you would like to see changed, improved? What do you mean by it? But what I mean is, for example, like when George Floyd was uh, murdered, I'll say that everybody just, you know, they, they began to rise up all over, take to the streets all over the nation. This three year old that was killed, if people know who the killer is, they should go to his house, uh, loot his house, take his gym shoes from him, take his uh, burn down his house, mm. take his Xbox from him the same way everybody was protesting all over Chicago. I mean, all over the United States. I understand the need to rise up against p- police brutality mm. and excessive force. I'm with that. But at the same time, we are losing two many kids due to gun senseless acts of gun violence in Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Detroit. So my, my call to action for Black Lives Matter, we need to have a meeting so we can see how we can organize and unify together and, and, and uh, pretty much stop the killings in, uh, in our neighborhoods. That's what I'm talking about. That's my main message here today. Well, we'd love to cover that meeting. Uh, so let us know. Tio, thank you very much. All right. So, you know, Tio Halderman and uh, violence interveners had a lot of interesting things to say there, Robert. You're breaking up. We're, we're having... oh, can you hear me? Now I got you. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Well, that's the technology. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, look, the, the, the claim being made today by the media and these leftist organizations uh, are are simple and transparent, uh, not nuanced, and often simply wrong. Uh, And um, we need to be able to say that, and we are saying that. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll get um, the proper uh, consideration. But right now, certainly the mainstream media is not doing that. Well, what's interesting about some of the points you brought up, one one being why aren't they concerned about these uh, killings that are going on in the inner city of Chicago. And I saw a, uh, a man who is a head of an organization uh, in Baltimore, a, a black guy who's an activist, asking the exact same questions. Why aren't you helping us with that? You're taking in millions upon millions of dollars, but what are you doing with the millions upon millions of dollars? I don't see a lot of transparency in uh, Black Lives Matter. I don't know what they're right. spending their money on. Well, of course, we, uh, this is it's a uh, it's a phrase, right? It, it's not an organization, meaning there are there may be organizations underlying it. But it, it, right now it's a phrase. And so we have to uh, be very cautious uh, when we see uh, these um people running uh, in a fashion towards the phrase as if they understand what's going on uh, behind it. They don't often. Yeah, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. And uh, we got to get a break in. So let's do that. When we come back, I want to ask you if you're sensing what I'm kind of sensing um, amongst these radical black groups that are out there i mean i i consider black lives matter uh radical and i see them and some other groups tending to start leaning in ways i haven't seen since the 60s we'll talk further about it when we come back robert steinbach is our guest he'll be with us to the bottom of the hour matt smith 
at 835. $287,619. What would you do with an extra $287,619 in retirement? Well, I can tell you, I would do a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I'd buy two margarita machines instead of just one. Uh, that's how much a Little Rock couple, by the way, could save in taxes with their IRA and 401k. Thanks to the tax planning strategies from David Lucas Financial right here in Little Rock. Learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. If you saved up uh, $250,000 or more, for instance, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis right now at 501-222-3315. Do you have an IRA or a 401k? Most people do now, right? I mean, we've talked about that. Robert mentioned that uh, in the last hour. People are in the market. Over 73% of American workers are in the market. Well, learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling 501-222-3315. Remember, it's not how much you save, but how much you have to use from your, uh, you know, money for your retirement. 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, 820 on a uh, Friday morning, uh, looking for a high today. In the uh, mid-80s, about 86 degrees is what they're saying. Heat indices because of the humidity, probably low 90s. But a little bit more clouds in the sky uh, through the day, although some of that may burn off later on in the afternoon over the weekend. Chances of rain uh, just going to be minute. We should see a lot more blue sky than cloudy sky. And uh, the temperatures are going to be around 90 degrees with Heat into season, you know, 95 to 100 degrees. Over the week, uh, next weekend during the 4th of July, they're, they're uh, saying that we're probably going to see 105, 106 degree heat into season. So it's going to be hot out there for the 4th of July there, uh, Robert, my man. Okay, so no here, question. here's what I've been seeing. You, you tell me because I can talk to you about this because though you're not as old as I am, uh, and, you know, walking stooped over and mm-hmm. and uh, pulling myself along by my fingernails. Uh, uh, I, I do remember back in the 60s, uh, there was a group called the Black Panthers. Now, they got started in Oakland, California, and they started off as a group that was working with the uh, inner city black community in uh, Oakland. But then they armed themselves. Uh, and they they became a provocateur of uh, law enforcement because, believe it or not, we've been arguing about law enforcement being too brutal on people of color for a long, long time. This was back in about 65 that it kind of got underway and came to head during the late 60s, early 70s when they had several shootouts with police and uh, a lot of them ended up dead. And then uh, they went away, and then they came back in the uh, mid-'90s as the new Black Panthers. And uh, I dealt with them in Indianapolis when I was there covering the riots that went down in Indianapolis. And uh, I had uh, the new Black Panthers on my show a couple of times. 
sitting down and talking with them, seeing what it was that they wanted. And uh, they had the same statement as I'm hearing now, which is we want the police out of our our urban areas and we want to be the ones that uh, do the law enforcement. Now the Black Panthers seem to be coming around again, although it doesn't look like uh, Black Lives Matters are letting their name be co-opted by the Black Panthers. Uh, they're holding on to their Black Lives Ma- uh, Matter moniker, but they're starting to act like Black Panthers. Are, have you been noticing this as well? Well, I, I've been noticing an increasing extremism going on, right? Uh, obviously, in Seattle, when the, a group takes over part of the city and the mayor tells the police to abandon the police station, that's radical behavior. There's no other way to describe that, Dave. Uh, and it's dangerous behavior. And people like Tom Cotton, uh, people like uh, Donald Trump, who say, protesting is fine, violence is not, have it right. And when they're criticized uh, for being, I don't know, conventional, uh, being reactionary, uh, whatever false claims are made in regard to those statements, it's silly because we cannot uh, have a system of government where you have individual groups decide when they opt in or out of the government. Yeah, and let's talk about that for just a second because, uh, you know, telling the president not to talk, you know, that you don't like him because he talks like that is one thing, but uh, to attack verbally or in whatever manner uh, other people, just citizens that hold a different viewpoint than you, uh, that is censorship in its worst form. Of course. And, and we're seeing that more and more. I mean, shouting people down is a form of censorship. Uh, I know that the people who are doing the shouting don't feel that way, but it is. What you're doing is you don't want them to be heard. Well, there's no difference in that than if they wrote a book and you burned it. That's this is a new level of censorship in which the left are saying, oh, we will tell you what views are acceptable. And, of course— the only views that are acceptable are views that either entirely agree with them or come close to agree with them. That's not a real debate. And, and we've talked, I think I first came on your show to talk about the First Amendment and how the First Amendment protects speech that other people don't like. That's the correct. First Amendment, of course, not designed to protect, as I always say, nursery rhymes uh, and greeting cards, because nobody objects to either of those. Although in today's day, maybe they do. But the, <laughs> I'm sure right? they do. Right. But the idea is that it's something that someone else doesn't like, I dare say, is offended by. That's how the First Amendment uh, works. You don't have a right not to be offended. That's the underlying point here. And if you think that's a right, then you're living in the wrong system. And of course, the left also has this notion of, well, you see, hate speech is not speech. And as I've said again many times, stop calling it speech if you really don't think it's speech. Of course, it is speech, Dave. That's the thing. But the notion that hate speech is not speech really uh, is undermined by the second word in the description. Now, I'll let's bring that up because uh, the head of the Senate right now here in the state of Arkansas said that he – along with some other members of the uh, 
uh, Republican uh, caucus in the Senate side are putting together legislation for hate speech. Now, you know and I know, and we've talked about it, that the governor wants a hate speech bill. He, he just cannot bring himself to to uh, to accept the fact that we're one of like four or five states that don't have hate crime legislation. You know, we mm-hmm. must have ha- uh, hate crime legislation. You think the Republicans will stand up especially during the times that we live in now and fight against it is necessary to stop it from happening? I think the good ones will. I think the good ones in Arkansas will, yes. And I think that uh, we have a good chance of uh, avoiding um, laws with good intentions and bad outcomes in this regard. Uh, We've been talking about moving forward to expand the rights of Arkansans to have free speech because the First Amendment is limited. And uh, we proposed last session, and we are going to introduce an updated and better version of uh, of a bill in the upcoming session to expand free speech rights for Arkansans. That's a good thing. So I think that's ultimately the direction in which we're going to move. All right. That's great. We're just about out of time. You got one minute if you want to say something about what I'm going to say. I see where the mayor of Little Rock has made it law now that you have to wear a mask in public. Well, Dave, look, this is that inherent tension. I I think that the mayor of Little Rock is largely inept, and so uh, I'm not impressed with virtually everything that he does. Uh, With that said, uh, I think we should be concerned about the continuing pandemic. And I think the prudent move is for people to be wearing masks when they're going out in public. So my, my position is somewhere in between. Okay. Well, I'm of the opinion, if you wear a mask, that's fine. If you, if if you don't, that's fine. But if you walk into a business and they say, you got to wear a mask, you got to wear a mask. That's just the way it is. I went to, where was, I went to go into IHOP the other day and they said, you got to wear a mask. And, and I thought to myself, I, I said, no, I'll just take my money somewhere else. I turned around and walked out. And by the way, mm-hmm. they didn't even offer me a mask as though, you know, well, you got to have your own mask. You know, we're not going to give you a helping hand with that. All right. We're right. out of time, Robert. We'll do it again next Friday. Hopefully Chris could get off his boat and where he's fishing and join us as well. I appreciate Thank you, dear. brother. Keep up with us. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye now. Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Sean Hannity coming up. He'll have a, a word or two for you, and then we'll come back and we'll talk with Matt Smith. That's coming up in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Matt Smith joins us now here on the Dave Ellswick Show, last half hour of the show today. Matt, last night I sat down and finally got to see Ford versus Ferrari what wow. a great! You waited a year. Yeah, what a great movie! Wow. I mean, well, great. What, what great held movie. you back, man? No, my wife. <laughs> my wife. She didn't want to go see it at the theater. She thought it was going to be a race car movie, like you know uh, James Garner and Le Mans or something like that. Yeah. And I kept telling her that I've been told that that's not the way this is. Well, she just wasn't, you know, buying it. And then we, I sat down and watched it last night. I, we didn't have anything that we're going to watch. And I said, well, let's watch this. And she goes, okay. You, you know this sound, right? Okay. All right. You know, 
<laughs> I told you last year that that was in my top three movies I know. of 2019. I know. It was a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a really, yeah. really good movie and uh, and done very, very well. Yeah. I, you know, I, I knew the principles in the movie. I just didn't realize how close they were as friends. Yes. My top three from 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ford versus Ferrari, Joker. Three great movies. My top three from 2019. Seen all three of them. Seen two of them, uh, you know, like uh, one three times, one twice. I've seen the Joker twice. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood three times. And now I've seen Ford versus Ferrari once. But... uh, I, mean, I, I wish you. I wish you to come out a year ago and seen Ford versus Ferrari on the big screen, brother. Yeah, maybe we could have got him an Academy Award, a big one. Tell you what, it, it really should have been. I mean, it was considered, but it, it that was an awesome motion picture. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's out. I know it's on HBO now, and uh, you know you need to you know just you know maybe want to check it out when. When it come, when it pops up and and you can rent it at places and I mean there's no reason not to watch it because you could could you know, could do all of that you know as far as that's concerned so yeah it's uh, it it was really really good like I said it was much more than what I thought uh, it was going to be I knew that it it dealt somewhat with relationships but I didn't know it was uh, really so strongly built around uh, you know Carol, Carol Shelby and uh, Kim Miles the racer. I didn't know it was that. All right. Well, <laughs> All right. if you want to get out of the house. Okay, you're open. Yeah, we're open. And we're open in Batesville, Searcy, Cabot, Hot Springs, and Little Rock. Uh, we've got movie tickets for just $5.00 which is actually less expensive than, uh, you know, trying to watch something at home on that tiny little TV. Yeah. You know, you've been doing that for four months. Why would you want to continue to do that? So not only do we have tickets for $5, we've got concession items for just $2. And you can check out the website, Riverdale10.com. And I'll tell you some cool stuff we've got going on. Um, Walt Disney Films has reissued three movies this Friday, today, Uh, This is something that they never do, but they are putting uh, three of their films back into theaters. We have The Avengers, the original Avengers, back on the big screen today. Right. We have Zootopia back on the big screen today. And we have The Greatest Showman back on the big screen today. And those are playing at all five of my locations in Arkansas. Uh, Riverdale10.com is the Little Rock location. Just check out the website. You can buy your tickets in advance. And, of course, you can uh, see what else we're playing. Uh, all of my theaters feature luxury leather electric recliners with tables and reserved seating. Of course, we've got a full food menu. We are serving beer and wine. So come check those out just for seven days. The Avengers, The Greatest Showman, and Zootopia back in theaters for only seven days. Would I... so that starts today. Okay. That starts today. Now, something uh, that I... I'm going to just jump in real quickly. I read an article uh, Wednesday... That said that uh, the number one movie at uh, the the box office of the movie theaters that were open over the last uh, few months have been Jaws and Jurassic Park. 
Jurassic Park's been number one in the box office the last three weekends. I thought I thought that was very highly entertaining. Great movies always do yeah. great business. Now, we have played those two films together. They're both from Universal, uh-huh. and we have played Jaws and Jurassic Park for several weeks at my theaters. Uh, what's pushing that number, though, is the drive-ins. Uh, they are running those two movies together. Uh, Jurassic Park at, at dusk, followed immediately by Jaws. Very and so cool. Those, that, that combo is doing very well at drive-ins currently. It should. So, They're great movies. Yes, yes. yes. And, and I'll tell you what else we're playing uh, this week. Uh, we got 51st Dates with Adam Sandler back into the theaters. Okay. Uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is back. Uh, also from Sony Pictures, uh, we're showing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from Sony Pictures this week. And the original Hotel Transylvania. All of those are back. So they're back in theaters now. Uh, we're still playing The Hunt. We are still playing Trolls World Tour. Uh, this week we are showing Back to the Future 2. Uh, so that's part of our uh, retro classic series that we've got going on. Back to the Future 2 is uh, in in the theaters this week. And the new movie from Steve Carroll, uh, it also stars Mackenzie Davis, Rose Bryan, Topher Grace, Chris Cooper, Natasha Leone. It's directed by John Stewart. Uh, it's called Irresistible. Uh, that is new. It is in the theaters today. Uh, so you can check that out. So Riverdale10.com for our tickets uh, in Searcy at SearcyCinema.com, down in Hot Springs, HotSpringsVIP.com. Uh, in Cabot, it's CabotVIPCinema.com. And up in Batesville, Arkansas, it's OaksVIPCinema.com. We're also on um, Google Movies, Fandango, and Flickster. And it's easy to find us because those five theaters are pretty much the only theaters in the state of Arkansas that are open. <laughs> I know. So come I on know. out and see a movie. I, I've seen more cars showing up over at the, the Cabot Theater than they have been. It's taken some time for word to really get out, but I think now it's getting out enough that people are coming over and uh, you know getting into the, the, the air conditioning, uh, enjoying that. Eating some, you know, very tasty popcorn, having their favorite beverage, and uh, seeing the movie on the big screen again. Yes, yes. And we've got uh, Wednesday, July first is Ghostbusters Day. Uh, Ghostbusters from 1984 is back in the cinema starting Wednesday, July first. Uh, it has some concert footage from uh, rock band U2, and it also has footage from the new Ghostbusters, which will be out in March of 2021. If you want to check that out. So Ghostbusters uh, back in the cinema Wednesday, July 1st at 7 p.m., Ghostbusters Day. All right. So, Matt, people uh, are watching the COVID-19 numbers go up and they're getting nervous again. Tell them what you're doing at your theaters to take their health concerns seriously. Well, you know, you can go to any of those websites and just click reopening guidelines and kind of read some of the stuff that we're doing. But, uh, you know, all of our lines uh, for entrance and exit and any purchases that you're making are marked uh, and monitored for maintaining a distance of six feet between people. So very easy for you to be able to do that. Uh, We are operating with reduced number of show times so we can allow more time uh, for cleaning the cinema. Uh, Now, the seats are arranged to maintain that six-foot distance uh, between members of the audience. Uh, You can buy your tickets online and the system automatically blocks out the seats around you. 
Now, uh, family groups can set together, you know, but you're six feet away um, from other groups. So well, that's automatically done by our online ticketing system. Um, now, we are uh, our staff is wearing face coverings and gloves uh, throughout the entire time they're inside the cinema. Um, we have hand sanitizer stations available uh, at all the entrances and exits. Uh, we are checking the temperature of all of our staff uh, before they start a work shift, and they also have to verify that they haven't been sick, they haven't had any symptoms. Okay. Um, the cinema, and including the seating, uh, is cleaned and disinfected before and after each show, and uh, frequently touched surfaces are cleaned often, and we're cleaning them with an EPA-approved um, viral pathogen. Um, so that's that's the products that we're that we're uh, using, and like I said, the staff is wearing face coverings and gloves at all times. So um, yeah, I mean we're doing everything that we can, following those guidelines uh, to make sure that um, you know people have social distancing. We're only using every other row in the auditorium, so uh, you know every other row is empty, no one's in it. So a lot of space there, a lot of a lot of social distancing going on at the cinemas. I think I may take in a movie this weekend. By the way, uh, the movie you're talking about with Steve Carroll, uh, the director of that motion picture, that's his first picture, correct? I mean, it's the comedian from uh, The Daily Show, that John Stewart, that's directing yeah, it. Yeah, you know, he has directed some things like uh, documentaries. Uh-huh. He's directed some stand-up comedy specials that other people have done, things like that. But now I think this is his first um, actual motion picture that he directs. Might be interested to check it out. Have you uh, had a chance to see yeah, any of it? It's it's Steve Carroll. It's some of his uh, you know situational comedy. I mean, it's good. He uh, he plays a strategist that helps a retired veteran run for mayor in a very small conservative Midwest town. Okay. So it's got a lot of. Um, fish out of water stuff going on with it and it's it, it's it's a good comedy it's rated r all right sounds like something i'm gonna want to take in uh with the missus over the weekend all right we got to get our final break in for this uh, hour and we'll come back and finish up matt smith is our guest he is the uh, movie mogul of arkansas we'll continue our conversation after traffic and weather all right, back with uh, Matt Smith. And, uh, Matt, there's been some interesting things going on in, in Hollywood or Hollyweird, however you want to look at it, uh, looking at what is coming up uh, through the rest of this year. Wonder Woman is still going to be a, a 2020 release, it looks like. Is that, a, is that what you're hearing? Yes, uh, Wonder Woman is set for uh, October the 2nd. So uh, yeah, that's that's in there. You know, if you remember last year, that was the date Joker opened, right? Uh, and the year before that, Venom opened on that date. So that's going to be be uh, unprecedented for a superhero movie uh, as popular as Wonder Woman 1984 to open the first Friday in October. Kind of an unprecedented thing. Uh, that that is set on that date. Uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, the new Russell Crowe film, Unhinged. I'm looking forward to 10th. that. That looks that looks interesting. That one sheet that they got, one sheet is the big poster you see on the walls of the movie theaters, reminisces uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Russell Crowe, Gabriel Bateman, um, Annie Leighton, Jimmy Simpson, uh, all star in the film. It's from Solstice Studios. It's rated R. 
uh, Russell Crowe's back in a psychological action thriller for sure. And that is out on July 10th. Uh, July 17th is the Broken Hearts Gallery, which is um, from Sony Pictures, uh, and it is a romantic comedy. Uh, okay. It's going to be new on July the 17th. Who's in that uh, rom-com? Yep. What if you saved a souvenir from every relationship you've ever been in? The Broken Hearts <laughs> Gallery follows the always unique Lucy, a 20-something art gallery assistant living in New York, who also happens to be an emotional hoarder. Oh, wow. <laughs> she gets dumped by her latest boyfriend, and she's inspired to create the Broken Hearts Gallery. It's a pop-up space for items of love that have been left behind. That would be interesting. <laughs> you know, you did, know, he, did he leave be, his toothbrush behind? And stuff, and, yeah. You know, uh, we need those in cinemas. I'm glad to see that happening. Yeah. And then uh, also on, um, you know, July the 17th from Area 24 Films, um, now, you're going to want to check this out. This is called St. Maud. It's rated R. It is a psychological thriller slash scary slash horror movie. All right. Sounds good. St. Maud, July 17th. You want to check that one out because I know you love those. So when's Greenland coming out? Greenland is, uh, they have moved that to uh, July 31st. Okay. I'm, Gerald I'm, Butler. Uh, Gerald Butler saves the world. I'm 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 for it. I'm <laughs> I'll, he I does like that about every other year. I like Gerald Butler. You know what you're going to get with it's kind of like watching a, a Schwarzenegger or a, a Stallone movie. You just know what you're going to get when he's in the the lead, and this looks he pretty does. good. It you does. Do. It's you do. Fun. And there's some of the cool stuff coming up. August 14th, Bill and Ted face the music. Yep. Uh, which should be cool. And then um, they've got that horror flick, Antebellum, which is coming out on uh, August the 21st. Now, wait a second. Are they going to change the name of that to just A? Man, I don't even know. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I know I, the Dixie Chicks are now the Chicks. Yeah, it's just I ante, mean, I, Antebellum I is just now A. If you haven't had a hit song, <laughs> you know, if you haven't had a hit song in at least 20 years, <laughs> and the only thing people remember you for is insulting George Bush when he was president. While you were in England. Way, 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 way back in like 2002, I think. Yep. 2001, right? That's what it was. I mean, you haven't had a hit in 25 years, and you haven't made news in 20 years, you know, for, for insulting the president. I guess you got to do something desperate. You change your name, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got, you, just go desperate. to the chicks. You, you need some media attention. Nobody buys your music. Used to be you know, that if you just called yourself the chicks, they would have called you sexist. Oh man, it's just yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 so weird. It's so weird. Um, I mean, it's just it's crazy. I mean, it's like the um, you know how how they're going about picking uh, how how Joe Biden wants to pick his vice presidential candidate. You know, has nothing to do with qualifications or experience. Nope. Got to be a woman weird, of color. Kind of weird. That's true. That's the way you it goes. Know. So, uh, see, uh, Nolan is coming out with a new movie. That's going to be in July too, isn't it? Yeah, that looks good. You know, they're going to have the um, they're going to have a tenth anniversary reissue of Inception. Uh, it's going to be like a director's cut of the Inception movie because you know it's the tenth anniversary for that film. I believe uh, to date that is his most popular film. And it also got all the awards consideration, and it was a lot of big box office on that movie. They're going to release the 10th anniversary edition of that film with some director's cut footage. Uh, they're also going to include um, 
footage from Tenet, which is his new movie. Uh, Warner Brothers is putting that 10th anniversary Inception into theaters on July 31st. So um, that is that looks intriguing. I think people come out and see that. I know that that original movie was just incredible, and I'm looking forward to Tenet as well. I mean, he's just awesome. What's he not done? That was he's cool. a great I mean, director. Kirk was so good, you know. I'm just saying he's such a great director, and for, I've been reading some interesting uh, articles about Tenet that it actually may be a uh, a sequel uh, to Inception. Well, there's a lot of speculation, you know, a lot of speculation tied into that. Uh, they've definitely kept that script and the information about that movie under wraps. And what I like about it is uh, Warner Brothers has said, hey, this is going to be in theaters for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to extend the theatrical run uh, of this film. Well, if it's so, t- if it's a typical Christopher Nolan movie, you'll have to see it at least twice to really kind of get a grasp of what he's trying to do with his movie. Yes, they're talking about adding a couple of extra months to the the theatrical run for the film. Yeah, I I think that's a a good idea. Which I think is wonderful. Yeah, that's a good idea because he makes quality films. He really, really does. He's really good. He's a great director, a lot of fun to watch. I use use the the scene out of uh, Batman with uh, 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 with Kane playing uh, uh, the uh, butler where he talks about there's just some people who want to see uh, things burn. I use that to describe the people that are out rioting right now. Well, there's some clowns out there. <laughs> that, that, no that's what that. I've been saying. I've been. If you want to know if you should be worried about the people or not, check their shoes because it may be if they got clown shoes on, probably not. There you go. I mean, just the way it works. All right, tell everybody uh, uh, what's the big movie for this weekend then. Well, I mean. You know, Irresistible is new this weekend. I think what people need to realize is the Avengers, uh, Zootopia, and Greatest Showman are back in theaters just for seven days. Disney never reissues movies. So you need to come check those out. Tickets are $5. Concessions are only $2. You can find out all about us at Riverdale10.com. All right. Appreciate it, Matt. You have a great weekend. We'll Thank talk to you, you next uh, next Thursday because I won't be here Friday because we get the day off. So I'll see you next Thursday. How's that? Thank you. Talk to you then. Matt Smith, the movie theater mogul of Central Arkansas here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, I'll be back 6 a.m. on Monday. Power panel's going to be in. Give you a heads up. Liz Harrington will join me Tuesday with Elizabeth at 8.05 by phone. Uh, she'll be talking about WinRed. If you've never heard that term, you'll want to listen into the interview because it's very interesting what the RNC is doing. That's all I got for you this week. I will see you again next week. Have a great weekend. It's going to be nice and hot. Sounds like it's going to be UV of 9. That sounds good to me. And uh, I'll be laying by the pool for a while. Not a lot because I do want to come back to work on Monday and still be able to sit down in my chair. Remember, God gave you a whole week of life. Give him an hour this weekend to see what he has to say to you. One.